Good morning, everybody. Welcome, welcome to Daylight Savings Time. Glad that you could all make it. It's so great to see you. Um, Stephen and I, Stephen's doing liturgy this morning. We were in uh, the UK at a conference uh, most of the week. So we're a little jet lagged, but it was brilliant and everyone was lovely. I've learned those two words. Uh, they're very British words. But we are glad to be back and we are glad that you are here, glad that you are uh, joining us on the live stream. We're at that part of our uh, service that we reflect on scriptures and we're going through a series about encountering Jesus as we work our way towards Easter. And so here to read our scripture passage for the day. Hannah. The scripture, the scripture reading. The scripture reading for today comes from Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Jesus and Zacchaeus. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. As I mentioned, we are continuing our series on encountering Jesus, and this is one of the most tender and poignant stories, in my opinion, in the whole of the New Testament. For here, we meet a hated man, a despised man, a rich man, and a hungry man. Zacchaeus is a tax collector. He has gotten a contract from the Roman authorities to raise taxes on their behalf by promising them a good amount. But he gets to keep everything above that amount that he can collect. So he is a wealthy man, but he is seen as a traitor to his people and as an instrument of oppression by the Roman Empire. There are families who have been broken financially because of him. There are widows who have been made destitute because of him. There are children left almost starving because of him. He was a social leper. He had made money his center, his, his treasure, the life goal that he wanted. And it, his false god, his idol, this money had made of him a slave, a leper, an outcast. We meet this man soon after Luke's account of another rich man, the rich young ruler, who met with Jesus, but left Jesus sad and empty 
because he wouldn't give up his wealth. His wealth meant too much to him. It had become his functional center. Here now, a chapter later, we need another man, another rich man, but he is not leaving Jesus empty. He's coming to Jesus empty. Empty of the illusion that wealth can make him whole, that wealth can make his life meaningful, that wealth can make him who he was meant to be. Wealth has left him empty. Because, men and women, this is what false gods do. They fool us. They fetter us. And then they fail us. They leave us empty, sad, and enslaved. And this is where many of us feel like we are today. We're successful, but our soul is dry. Our careers are stellar, but our lives feel feel sterile. You are here because you are hungry for something, something more than what your false God can give you. And Jesus is here to meet you, just as he was there to meet Zacchaeus. And he wants you to know what he wanted Zacchaeus to know and what Zacchaeus figured out. And that is two things. He wants you to know my grace is greater than your guilt. And he wants you to know my love is better than your love. My grace is better than your guilt, stronger than your guilt, greater than your guilt. My love is better than your love. We'll look at these two. My grace is greater than your guilt. The story opens with Zacchaeus trying to catch sight of Jesus. He's heard about Jesus. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Jesus has done so many miracles that there's a crowd following him and accompanying him now, and it's rather enormous. Zacchaeus feels something. He feels a hope that there might be a different way of living and a different way of being from the way of living and being that he has chosen. So he goes out to catch at least a sight of Jesus. He's curious and he's hungry. But he's a small man physically. He's short. I, I can relate. I've had these issues all my life. So Zacchaeus climbs a tree. Now, this kind of sounds funny and charming, and if you're a Christian, you've read all these in your children's stories. But think about it for a moment. This isn't just a cute small man. This is a hated enemy of your country, man. Wealthy, but seen as an oppressor. I don't know who's in your mind. For some, it's Elon Musk. Imagine Elon Musk climbing a tree. Can you? No, you can't either. Because rich, wealthy men don't allow themselves to look so vulnerable, don't allow themselves to look so empty. They don't allow their enemies those kinds of weapons to scorn them further. But this one does. He has decided to make himself vulnerable because his false God has left him empty and he's hungry. That's the step he takes toward Jesus. And Jesus sees it. And Jesus notes it. And Jesus responds to that small step. He says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Simple words and easy words, but put yourself now in the shoes or sandals of the man on the tree. Zacchaeus, he knows me. 
He knows my name. He knows what I do. He knows what I've done. And yet still he calls me. Hurry and come down. He has authority to tell me what to do. The words are in the imperative. For I must come and stay with you at your house today. Boom. If you are in the ancient Near East culture at the time, you would know what one scholar says is that to be invited to someone's house signified deep friendship, intimacy, and unity. And Jesus is saying, you, Zacchaeus, I know you. I know what you've done. I know what you're ashamed of. I know what you regret. I know what you won't admit to anybody else. I know you. But I want deep friendship and intimacy with you. He is saying, I don't care what you've done, though I know it. I don't care what shame you feel, though I know it. I know what darkness lies in your heart. I know what evil lies in your soul. But my grace is greater than your guilt. My love is greater than your wrong. Nothing Zach can do is evil enough to stop Jesus' grace from pouring out. Nothing, because the grace of Jesus to him and to you and to me is infinite. I know you, he says. I know every one of you in this room. I know your name. I know your thoughts. I know how ashamed you are at the deepest heart of some of them. I know them more deeply than you do, and I'm more, ashamed, I'm more offended by them than you are because I'm God. And yet, I want to make you my deeply beloved, intimate friend. I want to make you my beloved sister and brother. I want to make you my beloved father's adopted child. I've come to pour out my love upon you and I am going somewhere to pour out my life, my blood, out of love for you. And for every other ashamed, guilty, broken sinner who's willing to say, I want something more than what my idols have given me. I want something more. I dare to trust that God's grace is greater than my guilt. And if you're willing to come and be open to acknowledge your sin and the wrong of it and the shame of it, He's willing to come to you with the infinite grace that he has. 2 Corinthians 5.21 said, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Think about it. All we need to do is say, I need you. My sin makes me alienated from you. But I want to trust in vulnerable faith that your grace is greater than your guilt and you will not turn your face from me, but you will come in and have fellowship with me. And this says he will. Take a moment. Just take a moment in silence. Close your eyes if you need to. And think about this kind of God that Jesus shows us here. Think about your sin. Think about what makes you ashamed. 
do you dare to trust to open your hand and say, Jesus, take it away. Jesus, come to me. Experience the beauty of the grace that is greater than your guilt. Now let us examine some implications. If you're a typical Ontario or Torontonian, I have to ask you, have your accomplishments really fulfilled you? Are they, have, made, have they made you feel a little empty? Do they actually satisfy the deep cravings of your soul? I met a man, he was a hockey player, he scored significant winning goals in a significant international tournament. His name was Paul Henderson. And you know what? He said, you know how I became a Christian? I scored the winning goal in the final game against the Russians in the greatest series ever recorded in Canadian history. And when I came home to Canada, I could have what I want, whenever I wanted, with whomever I wanted, however many times I wanted. Canada was at my feet, and it felt empty. So he turned to his friend, Borja Salming, the great Swedish defenseman of the Toronto Maple Leafs, and said, there must be something more, and Borja said, there is. And he became a Christian. St. Augustine said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord. Our hearts are restless until they rest in you. So this is true of Zacchaeus and you. Your heart is restless. Come to him. Now, if you're a Christian, you're thinking this is great for those who don't yet know Jesus, but I say this is for you at least as much as it is for them because there's a part of you that you don't want to show Jesus. There's a part of you that you're embarrassed and ashamed by. But I'm here to say he knows you, and he knows that about you, and he died for you, and you've received that gift from him, but you're hiding in the crowd. You're not willing to get up on the tree and have him come and have fellowship because he may take that away. You're not sure that if he takes it away, you'll feel whole because that thing means something to you very dearly, and I say, come to him. And trust that his grace is greater than your guilt. And that the path he has for you is better than the one that makes you feel so empty. And finally, you see those who are grumbling because he meets with sinners. There are some of us who have grown up in the religious tradition all of our lives. And we think that being close to God, being holy, means that we avoid those kinds of people. You don't understand. This is the holiest man that ever lived. And he moved towards people who were broken and people who were ashamed and people who had done terrible things because he knew that his father loved those people more than their sin and had grace sufficient for their sin. Repent of your judgmentalism. His grace is greater than our guilt. Secondly, his love is greater than your love. It says here that Zacchaeus hurried and came down and received Jesus joyfully. 
And when they got there to the house, he got in and says, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also the son of Abraham. But the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Now we see the power of Jesus' love. It's so powerful. It overcomes and subdues his first love, his love of money. His love of money has now been bound like the strong man. His love of money has been dethroned from his heart. Look what the tax collector does. He receives him joyfully, and then look what he says. This is what I will do. I will give away half of my wealth. That's a lot of money. There's something broken about that power of wealth in his life. And then he says, to, I will make right to anyone I've defrauded. I will pay them back fourfold, fourfold. Okay. Grace, Ron, do the math. Get rid of half your wealth. Now you're willing to t- entertain anyone who says they've been defrauded and give them back four times as much. Now you have half your wealth, right? But you're going to pay fourfold. What's it take? One-eighth of these people to make claims and you're out of money altogether. <laughs> But we're not here to do statistics. We're here to measure the heart of a man willing to give it all up. How is it that he can be so repentant? For truly, this is a picture of repentance. He was going this way towards acquiring as much wealth as he can, and now he's going this way to get rid of as much wealth as is needed. How does he do such a 180? That is what repentance means. We could do a sermon on it. But what I want to know and what you should know is what gives him the power. It's simple. Zacchaeus has found what his heart was looking for. He has found the true treasure that he hoped wealth would be. He has found that thing that makes his soul sing. And that thing is the love of God in Jesus Jesus and his love is so filling and so freeing that he doesn't need money anymore. It never fed his soul in the way that Jesus' love does. He has found infinite love. It gives him unspeakable joy, and it gives him unshakable peace. He can give it all away because he's at rest. The love of Jesus is better than the love of money. My love, says Jesus, is better than what you love. He's free. Free to give away what once enslaved him. Free to give away what had fettered him and failed him. Free to give away that had driven him to fraud and to greed and to alienation. In one of the most insightful sermons ever preached, a Puritan divine named Thomas Chalmers pointed out something very profound, and that is this. He noted as a pastor that people who tried to get rid of sinful inclinations, desires, patterns, and tendencies would work really hard at it, and they'd be very dutiful at it, but it wouldn't work. It wouldn't, wasn't sustained because all their dutiful obedience did was get rid of it. They decided they disliked it, but it wasn't enough. It would come back or something else would come back, equally corruptive. And so he wrote these words. He said, the love of the world cannot be expunged, taken out, by a mere demonstration of 
that world's worthlessness. But what cannot be destroyed may be dispossessed. And one affection may be made to give way to another and thereby lose its power entirely as the reigning affection of the mind and heart. Men and women, Zacchaeus didn't promise to give his money away because he suddenly just thought, ooh, money is bad. He was able to give away his money because his heart had replaced that money at the center and the treasure of his soul with another treasure that was far better, the love of God in Jesus. And that, my friends, is the greatest gift anyone can give you. Time after time when people met Jesus, they did what Zacchaeus did. When some of the first apostles saw him, they were, they were with their nets. They were fishermen. They left their nets and their boats immediately and followed him. Why? Because he was the center. He was the treasure that their heart had been seeking. The scorned Samaritan woman at the well, Ryan talked about that woman at the well, trapped by the shame she felt for her relationship with men, sneaking to the well at noon in the heat of the day so that no one would find her thirsty. And Jesus says, I have living water that you do not know of that will well up in your soul and lead to eternal life. And she said, give me that water. And he said, I who speak to you am he. And when she got Jesus, she left her water jar and went to the townspeople she was so ashamed to confront because she was free. Because her love and addiction to men had been replaced by a superior affection, that of Jesus. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 13, 44, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has to buy that field. That's the love that Jesus gives you, the love of God. How does he do it? He does it by pouring out his spirit into you. Yes, Jesus died for us and showered his infinite grace upon us at the cross. He took the debt of our sin and he paid it. He took the grace that he had and poured it over our sin so the debt of our sin and its guilt is extinguished. He became a curse for us. But he didn't just stay dead. He rose and rising and going to the right hand of God, he then sent his Holy Spirit into us. Men and women, we always think about the beautiful humility of Jesus coming to die for us. Have you ever thought of the beautiful humility of God's Holy Spirit coming to live in you and me? Have you looked inside there? It's a little dirty in there. There's lots of selfishness in there. There's lots of envy and jealousy and pride and anxiety and lack of trust in there. The Spirit gives us new life. But more than that, Romans 5.5 says that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Men and women, when the Spirit pours out the love of God and the love of Jesus into your soul, what happens? Love brings you home. Love brings you to what your heart has always been longing for. 
Love brings you into the loving embrace of God. Romans 8, 15, you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back again into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with ours that we are children of God. Final applications. For all of us here, but perhaps especially for those of us who are interested in the Christian faith but not yet committed, there's a signal reality to this Christianity that we must confront and explain, tell you. And that is this. One does not become a Christian by having Jesus explain to you. We in our tradition explain Jesus to you in infinite detail. But you don't become a Christian that way. You don't become a Christian by having Jesus explain to you. You become a Christian by having Jesus encounter you. Because Jesus is not a philosophy. Jesus is not a religion. Jesus is a person. He is God himself come to meet you. And he wants to meet you today. His spirit is in this room waiting to meet you where you are, in what sin you are, in what shame you are, but in what longing you have, and meet you there with his grace and his love. Meet him. Second application. Most of us have an affinity of some kind with Zacchaeus. We have something that we've been struggling with that we know is wrong, but which we have been nursing It leaves us empty and ashamed and guilty, and yet it promises to make us feel full and whole and alive. We're a bit afraid of going to God because He might take it away from us. But we want to go to God because it's not fulfilling us. And so we're torn. We struggle to believe that Jesus will so fill us and will so satisfy us that we won't need what we think this thing can give us. You know what that is? It's in your mind right now. I felt that way for a long, long time. I'm here to tell you it is a lie. It is a lie that bound me. It is a lie that hurt me and corrupted me. Look at Zacchaeus. He found his true treasure. And he left the lie. Psalm 16:11 says, "You make known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hands are pleasures forevermore." Men and women, Jesus is here to meet with you. Jesus is here to forgive you. Jesus is here to fill you. I ask of you to do two things. Be willing to meet with him where you are. And be willing to trust the one who died and rose for you. That he loves you enough to replace that which clings to you with a love that is better than your love. Let us pray. Father, I thank you and I praise you for your goodness and for your grace. And I pray that today would be a time of trusting you and of meeting with you. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up and I'm going to give you a moment while they begin to play the prelude to our song of response to do business with God.
If you're here and you're not a Christian, Ephesians 2 says, for by grace we are saved through faith. And this, not of yourselves, it's a gift of God that no one should boast. You can receive Jesus today if you will simply, as Zacchaeus did, say, my way has made me empty. I want you in my life. I want you to forgive my sins. Come and forgive me because I believe your grace is better than my guilt. Come and fill me because I believe your love is better than what I love. Do that now. If you're here and you are a Christian, I ask you to trust him with that thing that you feel like you don't quite ready, aren't quite ready to give to him. Trust the one who died for you and rose for you and poured out his love into you by his spirit that his spirit will fill you with his love in a way that replaces that at the center and makes you peaceful and joyful. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.